the wrong side of the red line, Dallas Stars Podcast. Here is your host, Sean Shapiro. Well, it's the uh, NHL bye week for the Stars, and now technically they've played now 43 games, I believe, so technically it's a couple games past the official midway point. That game against New Jersey would have been, um, I believe, game 41. But the uh, what better time to kind of take a look at the halfway point of the season. And Stars going to this bye week. They are in a playoff position. And you could actually argue the team's in a good spot right now. And uh, I'll, let, I'll let you start from there, Ryan. What are your thoughts kind of just to start off as we head into this unofficial halftime of the season for Dallas? Well, kind of a... Uh... It's funny that you call it a halftime because now at the bye week, that kind of it, like in actuality, is actually kind of like they have a little halftime now, which is funny. But um, up and down for at least the first half, but it really seems like they're rounding into form right now. And I mean, I guess you can say that that it's not. I, I get it's not this like a apples to apples comparison when you're looking at hockey to football or something like that when you're learning a new system and whatnot, but. There's a lot of intricate parts of when you, especially when you look at Hitchcock's system, which I don't think is necessarily complicated per se, but when you're more so focusing on the defensive side of things, if you're not always on the same page, things can get a little hairy. And I think in the first 10, 15 games of the season, we kind of saw that at times, but I, I don't know that I'd quite say the stars are playing as good as anyone in the league right now, but they, they sure are looking like the team that we kind of thought that they eventually would look like under Ken Hitchcock, which obviously that's a positive. They, they have, um, they've started, I don't want to use the word mastered because that's always tricky to, um, but they've basically, they've gotten Hitch hockey now. I think that's, I think that's a fair assessment. They've gotten what Hitch hockey is supposed to look like. They are the one thing Ken Hitchcock is big on. Um, and it's not the most exciting thing. Um, and but it's a style that wins um, that wins games is you play to the score and the starters now play more to the score than they've played since probably the first time Hitchcock was here where you take a look at that game the other night where they yeah they're up three nothing on Edmonton in the first period and instead of being like the Lindy Ruff version of the stars who would continue to push and, and, and drive and, and who, and they basically, they get more conservative, they play simpler and you play to a point where you're not going to, once you have the lead, it's not going anywhere. And that's something that maybe not the most thrilling hockey to watch, but it is winning hockey. Which is all that matters at this point. I mean, I, there's still, Obviously, I think some questions with this team, which I f- probably relates to a lot of the questions that we got for this podcast today. But I mean, right now that top line is playing as good as probably anyone not named Stamkos Kucherov Nemesnikov in the league right now. So I, I mean, you know, that's kind of, they're playing as we expected. And if the stars can kind of figure out that secondary scoring on a consistent basis, like they should be in a good position going forward. And you have the, uh, and you I mean you have this team too. On top of all of that too, I don't think anyone would have expected. 
I don't think anyone would have expected John Klingberg to be leading the league in points amongst defensemen. That's not a comment on John Klingberg. That's a comment on would a defenseman playing for Ken Hitchcock be able to lead defensemen in scoring? Boy, I have. Um, I feel like we got a lot of. We got at least one or two Klingberg questions, but I still have. I, I, I feel like with. I, I'm going to have. I meant to look this up when I. Because I kind of thought about it when I was working out this morning. I don't remember how old Eric Carlson was when he first kind of started to explode offensively. And Klingberg's in his age 24 season now, which is probably around the time Carlson started to. And I'm not going to make that comparison that John Klingberg is Eric Carlson. I can actually look this data up for you. Continue with your point. Okay, cool. But John Klingberg, he's like five points clear of every other defenseman in the NHL right now for most points. And I, we, I feel like we've reached that point with him. Not that we haven't been at this point for the last three or four years where John Klingberg is legitimately starting to, if he hasn't yet, I feel like he, if he keeps this up, he will by the end of the year cement his name as one of the elite offensive defensemen in the NHL. Assuming he keeps this pace, let me, I want to reiterate that point because Obviously, he's having a phenomenal year to this point, and obviously he has – it's a limited track record, but he has shown in the past that he is capable of producing at this level. But if he continues to produce at the pace he's producing at right now, I obviously it's going to be a fantastic season. But it's going to be – we're going to be at that same point with him where we have been in the past where people were with Eric Carlson three, four, five years ago where it was like, well, yeah, he's really great offensively, but what does he do defensively? And I, I already remember one of the questions we got was – well, he still doesn't do anything in the corners and he's, you know, he needs to be harder on the puck. It's like, no, he, I mean, I get it. I get you want your defenseman to be well-rounded and all ends of the ice and blah, 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 blah. But you build a roster to have the weaknesses of certain players counteracted by strengths with certain other players. And I feel like with John Klingberg, it's pretty easy. It's because he's not, he's not physical or anything like that, but he's certainly a lot more situationally aware in the defensive zone than he used to be. Is it where you would ideally like it to be? No, but in an ideal world, everyone on your team would be Connor McDavid. And obviously that's not a realistic aspiration. So I'm personally looking forward to the next three years of Stars fans continuing to complain about John Klingberg because he doesn't play gritty and blah, 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 despite the fact that he is unquestionably right now I don't want to say unquestionably because I don't have the points per million per dollar in front of me right now, but it's, you would be hard pressed to find someone who would give you more bang for your buck right now than the contract that John Klingberg is on for the production that he is giving this team. No, that, that's a great contract. And for the Carlson comparison, I pulled it up here. Um, now Carlson, Carlson won the Norris at 20 during his 21 year old season. So that's, there was a bit of a, I mean, people, yeah, I mean, Carlson's still only, uh, I believe he tur- he's turns 28 later this season or at the end of this season. So Carlson's right. yeah, so Carlson's not that much older than Klingberg. Um, but if you're looking at by comparison, if John Klingberg right now is in his 25, John Klingberg is in his 20 Last year was John Klingberg's 24-year-old season, right? He had 49 points and kind of what was a down year. Um, Eric Carlson in his 24-year-old season won the Norris with 66 points. Um, the next season was the year Carlson should have won the Norris. That is his 25-year-old season, which is what Klingberg's in right now, when he had uh, 82 points, and he should have won the Norris that year but finished second. Um, Carlson, I think, 
Carlson should have two Norris trophies in his career. We agree upon that, but I think the years he won them are incorrect. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, that's all the... I love the jokes from the Canadian hockey writers that I follow right now where it's like, no, you know, Trudeau's not having the best year, but it's his turn to win the Norris because it just seems like half the time that whole process is kind of arbitrary with how it plays out. It's, it's similar to what I was thinking about the other day. Um, if you go back to... And I was thinking about this because the Stars, during the Edmonton game, they had the... Uh, they had Marty Turco reunion night where Marty came and dropped the puck and played in the alumni game afterwards and everything like that. And um, he didn't, Marty Turco's, if you take Marty Turco's first full year as a starter in the NHL and you take names off numbers, he's the Vesna trophy winner easily. Um, that, that's, isn't, that the, isn't that the year that he went like one seven, two or something like that? Or was that his second year? That was his first. Yeah, that was the year he went, it was uh, Marty Turco had his first full uh, his first full year as a starter because obviously there was the split with Belfort for a little bit, um, and so his first full starting season where he started 50, he had, in fifty five games, Turco was thirty one ten and ten, had a nine thirty two save percentage and a one seventy two goals against average, led the league in both categories, and finished second in the Vesna voting. And at the time, that one seventy two was the lowest in modern era NHL it was. history. Yes, and the only reason he didn't win it was because he was a goalie who was in his prop. I mean, the, the namesake, the goalie who won that year was Martin Brodeur, and Brodeur had and Brodeur was good that year. I believe he won something around forty-five something games like that. But it was an award that where Brodeur's the number of Vezina trophies people think Brodeur should have had are la are there's he has less than people think he should have had in his career because he played at the same time of Wah and Hashik and everything like that, and so. When it was his, it was his turn to get a Vesna Trophy that year. When Turco should have won one, and that's that's kind of what happened with uh, Carlson, with uh, when the year he should have, he probably should have won it. Dowdy won it, where people said, "Well, it's time for Dowdy to win a Norris." So awards are uh, awards and voters are finicky. I just hockey culture pisses me off sometimes. It's all like, it, 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 yeah, I'm not getting into it. We're going to go off the rails too fast. And I'd like to think positively for once in my life. For once in your life. All right. Um, but, so, yeah, Klingberg, you know, we'll start with Klingberg since we're already on this topic. Um, he's been very good this year. He's been phenomenal. He's got, he leads, he leads, uh, I'm not sure what the point spread was done last night, but he, heading into the bye week, he had an eight-point lead amongst the uh, over John Carlson for the most points amongst defensemen. He has been good in his own end. He has done every, I mean he can there's not much more you can ask of John Klingberg. Um, and the funny thing about that is I think the role he's playing right now is the ideal role for the best version of John Klingberg, but it's also a role that will stop him from being voted as the best defenseman in the NHL. If does that make sense? Oh yeah, I don't. It, because, I don't disagree with that whatsoever. Because while the star, well, in theory, in theory, people look at it, and, and I talked, and I've talked to a couple of people. Actually, I mean, people look and vote based off. They look at minutes played. They looked at how much time on ice there are for guys. They want to see the Norris Trophy winning defenseman averaging. Now the numbers have gone down a little bit, but John Klingberg doesn't average enough time on ice for. Right now, he's averaging twenty uh, twenty three twenty three, which is good, but. 
you want they want you in the 26 27 minute range and the stars don't need John Klingberg to do that. John Klingberg's better playing playing the 23 minutes a night where you, you have Greg Pattern and Dan Hughes who can play some can can play some shutdown minutes and, and 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 shorten the game a bit. And you have the Stars are a better team by not having Klingberg spread out and split up over that, and it allows him to play 90 seconds of every two minute power play. Could he play on the penalty kill? Yes, he could play on the penalty kill, but it, it's he's there. They've found the ideal role for John Klingberg. He's probably going to lead defenseman in scoring this year, but that role is not a role that people look for. That that role is not a role that voters look for when it comes to picking the best defenseman in the NHL. No, and it's one of those things, too, that you look at, like, I don't know if you can, you at the end of the year, you might end up being able to use the Stars as an example of this, too. And you look at, like, a goalie split, too. Like, ideally, like, when you're looking at analyzing the best goalies in the league, you look at, oh, he's a horse, he's playing 65, 70 games for them. But, it, yeah, that's good for the goalie in terms of, you get to sit there and say, yeah, he's, you know, he's a horse, he carried this team. But it's almost more practical from a team standpoint to be where, Dallas is going to end up this season where you have your number one guy play 50, 55 games and then your backup split the rest because, you know, he's a little more rested in the end, end of the regular season. And I think I would have to look at his stats and this is, might me be some sort of a, I, like, I have not, I realized that I have not paid enough attention to the NHL this year because I looked at the point leaders and a lot of this is, because I had no free time in the like to this last semester to be able to do anything. A lot of it is is my fantasy hockey pool hasn't been what it just didn't exist this year. So there's not that incentive to keep paying attention. But I hadn't looked at league leaders all year. I had no idea that Nathan McKinnon was having as good of a year as he has. That Josh Bailey was actually a useful offensive player. I I've learned so much in the last week just by actually paying attention to things, and it's been great. But anyway, that's a little bit off topic. But I, the point that I was just before I got sidetracked was, Doug, I don't think Duncan Keith scored a goal yet this year. And you can make an, I, this is kind of jumping ahead a little bit, I think, but you can make an argument that he's kind of wearing down a little bit sooner than you would normally think because of the minutes that he plays, that he played at least on a night in, night out basis for Chicago when they were doing their three Stanley Cup runs on top of all the extra games you're playing when you're going that deep into the playoffs. So it's almost, uh, obviously, as a fan, your your desire is to see, you know, oh, yeah, you get the bragging rights to see, yeah, this player, he, he won the Norris Trophy this year, he won the Vesna Trophy this year. But in terms of long-term viability and team success, it's almost better to have this situation where you're not putting as much mileage on one guy and you're still getting a ton of production out of him. You know what I, I mean? Does that... Yeah, did that Duncan Keith's career average time on ice for, and uh, Duncan Keith has played 126 playoff games in his career. His average time on ice in playoff games is 28 minutes 11 seconds. And you get some of those that that yeah. is sometimes skewed a little bit because of the long overtime games, but that's insane. Like that's mm-hmm. more of an indictment on the rest of your team than it is kind of a an ode to that player if you're playing half the game. Like, mm-hmm. you're playing that much because they don't have anyone else they can trust. And I distinctly remember that in the playoffs last year, where you're in overtime and you got Pierre Maguire sitting on the sidelines doing his little thing where he's like, yeah, Chicago's running 4D right now in overtime. You're playing every other shift. That's not good. 
that is not good. You no. sure you're a great player, but you're you are absolutely murdering your assets by doing that. Yeah, and, and situationally there there are situationally there are times to go to four D, but you need to I mean, it's an eighty two game season. The it's a very condensed schedule because of this bye week. Like I know I talk I talked to a bunch of players about this bye week and it's actually not really that liked because the bye is they like the everyone likes a couple days off and things like that, but for the players with families, it's not like they can go anywhere. Like it's like uh, like I talked to Dan Hamus and Jason Spez about it. Like for them, it's not like they can take their go on vacation. Their kids are back in school. They've got to be home and everything like that. And then for for the other and even for the players that don't have families, it's there. A lot of them are just sticking around in town anyway. Like Roddick yeah, Fox has told me he ask, like ask Roddick, uh, Sagan and Radulov what their break plans are. Well, their plan they are. Uh, Maybe that's not the best option either to have your best players go to Cabo um, in the middle of the season. But following them on Instagram is the greatest thing because just the stuff that they post on their stories is fantastic. And I'm like, damn, I should have been a professional hockey player. Well, it's not like you made the conscious decision I, as if not I, to be. I was going to say, as if I had an option otherwise. Yeah, it's not like, yeah. Uh, yeah. But the bye week, all of a sudden, so they get a week off, and then the week after. They go and they have four games in. Th- they've got a four and three, including a back to back, I believe. Like coming out, like it's a or three. Sorry, it's a three and four and three and four and six and eight. No, six and nine coming out of the like. That's if you take away the bye week, you can split that up a little bit, and all of a sudden it's there's less back to backs. There's or less. I mean, the NHL actually has less back-to-backs now, but now it's a lot of more game, day off game, and so there's really less practice time because of it. But Yeah, and um, wasn't one of the biggest arguments against the Olympics because it condenses the schedule, and yet here we are, condensed schedule with no Olympics? Yeah. I'm just still, I'm still bitter about that, but anyway. Yeah. Yep, yep. Um, but so Klingberg... There's not much more you can ask of John Klingberg for what he's done this season. I don't think he's going to win the Norris. I think he'll be top three. I don't think he'll win the Norris. It'll probably be Drew Doughty who wins it. I don't have a vote, so it's not like I have a say in that. Um, and But individual, but Ken Hitchcock's teams have always been have always been built and stars in general have always been built around team concept things too, where individual awards haven't mattered much. If Oh, here's, here's a trivia. It's an easy trivia question, but I'll let you to, to spark this as a conversation can other than, so obviously I mentioned Turco not winning the Vesna trophy like he should have. Um, other than, uh, can you name how many, what individual trophies the stars have actually won in franchise history? Uh, Lettinen has like three Selkies. Mm-hmm. And other than that, um, I'm assuming you're also not talking about Con Smythe because that's Con Smythe does that yeah, was yeah, that's, jo- uh, yeah. what was that New in ninety nine that was that was New in ninety nine yeah um I don't know if they have a Hart Trophy winner are you just talking about since Dallas or overall? well just off De- just just go just Dallas because it's the same for both. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay, well, then that simple. I don't think they have a heart. I don't think they have a... I don't think Madonna ever won the Richard. I think he only had, like, 150 goal season, so I don't think he ever had a Richard. 
Um, is it just Latin and Selkies? Yep, those, those those are the only voted upon awards awards the stars have won. Like obviously, Jamie right, Ben because Jamie won, Ben had the Art Ross. J- Jamie Ben won the Art Ross, and um, Belfour won the uh, what's the name of that trophy that for the goals against average champion? What's the name oh, of that trophy? Jennings. The Jennings, yeah. So Belfour won the Jennings the year the Stars won the President's Trophy. Um, two of the years the Stars won the President's Trophy, but the only voted upon award the Stars have won is the Latin is when Latin and Selkie Trophy awards wins. Like it's a team that has never had individual award winners, really, and probably Klingberg doesn't do enough this year for now. He could if he builds his case this year. All of a sudden, John Klingberg's only twenty. I mean, he's only twenty five. Um, John Klingberg could build that. All of a sudden, two years from now, John Klingberg could win a Norris, and it would be the Norris that he doesn't actually deserve, but they could say it's time for him to win. Who knows? No, exactly. You watch him. He goes out and he puts up 75 points this year, and then he does it next year while maybe playing a little bit more on the penalty kill, and all of a sudden everyone's going to be like, oh my god, John Klingberg is such a great defenseman now. Well, he's been pretty good for the last couple of years, but now it's it's stupid. I don't I don't understand hockey media sometimes. I understand. I don't understand old school hockey media. That's mm-hmm. the point I'm trying to make. Like you, I'll see like a Mark Spector tweet will show up in my timeline every now and then. And my initial thought is always, "How in God's name do you still have a job?" I I get why he has a job. He's actually a really good reporter. But some people, so if some of these people should not have a Twitter, some of these people should not be allowed to talk to mm-hmm. hockey fans. Yeah, it's uh. No, they're the awards are funny. That's that's just really what it comes down to. Um, let's uh, let's kind of jump right in. Let's jump into the questions since we'll that'll get us through some things. And if we miss anything, we can always circle back. So, um, starting, uh, I tweeted out. I'll go through the early questions first, then I'll jump into some of the questions more recently. We got when I t- tweeted this out right before the return. The first one. Um, who would you name from Justin Schmidt? Um, who would you name as a Stars player that is the biggest that has had that had the biggest impact this season? And who is the Stars' most underrated player? John Klingberg and John Klingberg. Ed, that's kind of a cop out. Um, I guess we'll go. I see it's really hard because obviously you look at the top line and. Having, I think, I guess in terms of biggest impact, I would say Radulov because he kind of completed that top line. And mm-hmm. with the way the star secondary scoring has been, they might not be a playoff team if they didn't right now if they did not make that signing. If we're being completely honest, he has added a huge element to that team. He they kept that game. Watching those highlights against the Oilers, that was just, that was some not safe for work stuff that was going on in that game. That passing is just fantastic. Obviously they've developed a pretty strong chemistry between that trio. So I would honestly, I would say Radulov has had a biggest impact. Obviously he's a, a big personality. He's having fun on the, this, this what his goal celebrations give me life and make me want to go out and just like run around and start chest bumping people. Um, so I, I think that, was a shrewd genius signing that just obviously it looks fantastic right now and they're getting every penny worth of that contract in terms of most underrated player I'd say either Fox or Yanmark because Yanmark in the sense that coming into the year we weren't really sure if they were going to get anything out of him 
and he's had a pretty good year, I all things considered. I mean, even if you take away the fact that he missed all of last year with a potentially career-threatening knee injury, he's still having a pretty good year. Yeah, he uh, he's having a good year. I mean, he's been a little bit up and down. I, I think biggest impact player, I think, I'm, I would probably go with Radulov. Um, Bishop is up there, but not... Um, Bishop is up there not because of... And I don't think Bishop has had the best season. I think there's been quite a few moments in third periods where he's gotten... where he hasn't played well. Um, but Bishop has had a big impact on this season. But I would go with Radulov still. Um, the other thing um, that is... You look at underrated, and I think Klingberg fits into that. He, it's, you said it's a cop-out, but it's not a cop-out because it's true based off what people league-wide will look at and will look at his points and they'll think he's not playing defense when he actually is now. Um, the other player that is just underrated and has just smashed expectations by more than anything is Greg Patteron is playing tw- is playing 22 minutes a night. <laughs> yeah, that's that's true, too. Like, like <laughs> you, I, if you would have... If you would have penned that question, or you kind of told me at the start of yeah. the year that Greg Patteron and Dan Hampus would be a beyond reliable shutdown pairing for Dallas, I would have laughed at you because at the beginning of the season, I was half convinced that they were going to end up trading Dan Hughes just because that's what I wanted them to do because something about youth and blah, blah, blah. But yeah, I did not anticipate Greg Pattern playing more than 15 games this year. And now here we are. They finally trade Jamie Alexiak. And seemingly, if you told me at the start of the year the Stars would trade Jamie Alexiak, you'd be like, oh, cool, now Julius Honk is playing every day. This isn't even a question. And it still is a question because Greg Pattern has absolutely earned to be in the lineup, and I would never have guessed that. And it's and it's not even Julius Honka versus Greg Pattern in the lineup. It's Stephen yeah, Jones exactly. versus Julius Honka in the lineup. It's he is Greg Pattern is the second pair is the second pairing right-handed defenseman. That's what he's become for the Stars. Like that's I mean you talk about a move that, and I really the Stars didn't go out to get Pattern. I know it looks like a shrewd move and everything like that, but you talk about a move that worked out had unintended worked out unintended unintentionally worked out well was that trade of Jordy Ben for Greg Pattern in a fourth round pick. Um, really, that pick was more for that trade was more for the fourth round pick and making the most of an asset because they really thought Jordy Ben was going to be lost in the expansion draft. That They really believed that. And so this was really about pr- getting something for nothing. And it and worked that out. that trade turns into Greg Pattern and Ben Bishop. Exactly. Basically. It's Because, yeah, they tr- they flipped that fourth-round pick for Ben Bishop's negotiating rights. That's a that's an underrated trade from uh, back in uh, February that really ended up helping this team in. So underrated, I, I think Greg Pattern probably still is underrated by both Stars fans locally and nationally. I'm sure there's people who who haven't watched the Stars very much who will look and see Greg Pattern in the lineup and think it's a third pairing, like if you haven't paid attention to the team. And so I'll go with Greg. No, he's definitely one of those guys whose impact is not felt on stat sheet. So mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of cliche, but you do need guys like that on your team. And yeah. it's good. Good for and, him. And give credit to Dan Hamhuis, who is playing arguably probably the best hockey of his. I mean, Dan Hamhuis is going to get paid next in this offseason. Oh, more yeah. he's him and him and John Carlson are the UFA market, and that is it on defense mm-hmm. at least. Yeah, so he is side going note, to get paid. Side note: I, I guess we could talk about this later in the podcast, but 
I was reading Hockey News yesterday, and they have the Stars cap situation as the third most favorable in the NHL, basically due to the lack of long-term commitments, the lack of mm-hmm. contracts that they have to fill for next year with key players, plus the money coming off the books. What if? And I don't think Washington is going to be able to re-sign John Carlson because their cap situation this offseason was atrocious, and it's significantly worse next offseason. What are the odds he's in a star sweater next year? Even money, at least. Uh, it's. I think. Well, he, I, I guess they're, they're in the running. It depends on a couple things, but yeah, it's right. it, it, it. It's it depends on a couple things. Um, but I mean, Dan Hamhuis, as I think Dan Hamhuis says, it, and ironically enough, in a good way, played himself out of Dallas because Dan Hamhuis mm-hmm. is going to get money at he'll be 35 to start next season so he'll be getting money from some team especially with the cap going up that is going to be looking for reliable defensemen and he's going to be he's going to be getting paid for that next year um which is good for dan that's what it's this is a business so (laughs) um one more tangent i had a brief conversation with someone on twitter about this last week is there a more asinine theory than the stars trying to trade for eric carlson why would you do that? That's my that was my thought exactly because one, just completely forget just ignoring what it would cost to get that player in Dallas. He's redundant. And I get that saying one of the three best defensemen on planet Earth right now is redundant is a stupid thing to say because if you were to ask me right now who would I rather have on my team, John Klingberg or Eric Carlson, all things being equal, Eric Carlson ten times out of ten. When you factor in the money Eric Carlson's not worth it. And here, and this was, and this is my whole point on the matter. If anyone actually cares about this, if we're talking about Dallas trading for Eric Carlson in some hypothetical universe or near the deadline, because Ottawa is an atrocious team. And I saw someone had a question about Mathot and Carlson and his game. And I don't think Carlson's game misses Mathot. I think Ottawa is just a god awful hockey team that happened to luck their way into the conference finals last year and all old school hockey people who don't pay attention to advanced stats and everything like that was, oh yeah, this is a good hockey team and they're not a good hockey team. And that's why Eric Carlson's a minus 15 this year. If we're talking about the stars trading for Eric Carlson, the conversation begins at Miro Heiskanen, this year's first round pick, plus either one of Jason Robertson, Riley Tufty, or Jay Gottinger, and then probably another draft pick and another prospect. And that's the start. Now, my question then becomes, one, if you're not given a negotiating window with Eric Carlson, why would you ever make that trade? Because if I wasn't given, if I wasn't allowed to negotiate with him and I didn't have an agreement where his name would be on a new contract extension five seconds after the trade was announced, I would never make that trade because that is a huge risk to take right there. The other thing is, is, I don't, I mean, I get that this is a more nuanced discussion than just, just get as many good pieces as you can. I feel like it should be pretty common knowledge now that having assets on low level contracts is huge in this NHL with a salary cap. And the question then becomes is, assuming Miro Heishkin and, and I, I get we're jumping a lot ahead here, but I, I feel like the, the consensus seems to be that Miro is going to be in North America next year, and even if he's well, not, he'll be he'll he'll be he'll be in North America next year. That's a guarantee. I just but that's, it's just whether it's in Dallas or yeah, Texas is yeah, the yeah, question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. but assuming he comes into camp and completely 
blows everyone out of the water, and he's one of the six best defensemen on this team. Would it be more pragmatic to have... Well, okay, let's ignore that. Let's say he comes over and he's in Texas all of next year, and then he comes up the year after that, which would be the year that Eric Carlson's new extension would kick in. And I think it's safe to say that Eric Carlson's going to get 10 mil plus average annual value on this contract. I, I, I argue it's more than that. You've seen what him and Dowdy are talking about setting the market for defensemen. Like, right, especially like it's if it's going to be more than 10. It, especially if they actually hit the open market and it's not just an extension. Yeah. Um, is it more valuable then to have two years of Miro at just under $1 million per year or Eric Carlson hamstringing your cap? It's that's it, that's my that's the point that I'm, I'm getting, it, of the end point. And, I, and I'm agreeing with your point. And also the same thing is him and Klingberg, okay, with, to this moment right now, if you're picking a team to go play on the ice right now, this moment, you're going to pick take Eric Carlson. But Eric Carlson will be 30 in two years. John Klingberg's younger. I mean, it's... And the contract's great. I don't understand why. And they both play the same role. I mean, you would come in. It would. They would both. They would both essentially play the same role. I just. I don't see why you would do that. Especially if we're assuming that Julius Honka is going to turn into the player, even if he turns into eighty percent of the player that they're that we are all expecting him to be. Your right side of your defense then is Eric Carlson, Julius Honka, and John Klingberg. And at that point, it's like, okay, you just. Or, or you, on have, the flip- you have the same player to varying degrees of talent then. Or on the flip side, I'll tell you this. If I'm Ottawa and you're talking to Dallas and you say, I want to trade for Eric Carlson, I tell them I want John Klingberg back. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Like That's what I would ask for if I was Ottawa. I would say, okay, we're giving away Eric Carlson, but we want Eric, we want, I would trade for John Klingberg. That's what, I mean, the cost is just too high and it's not worth, it's... I'm surprised we've talked about it for this long. It's just not a deal worth making. Like No, and I knew that we were going to be on the same page because I feel yeah. like we're on very similar wavelengths with just about everything with this team. But that was a, I feel like that's a conversation that's happening in some corner of the internet. And if you happen to be a part of that conversation, if anyone who listens to this happens to be a part of it, I wanted to get that on the record as to why it's not. Like, in theory, yeah, it's great. You think of a blue line, a, a power, power play one, quarterback by Eric Carlson, power play two quarterback by John Klingberg. Damn, that's scary. But in a practical world of salary cap and building a full, complete roster, it's just not happening. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's also like the nature of there's only one puck and there's only two minutes on the power play. John Klingberg wants to play 90 seconds on the power play. Eric Carlson, like, how... That, you also have egos here, too. That's the yeah, other thing, exactly. <laughs> Like, I can't believe you got me to talk about that possible trade for that long. Sorry. Okay, so we could we can go back to questions that are actually pres- the present now, and not just things that have happened in my uh, sphere of existence for the last two weeks. Oh, we already talked about Carlson. That was going to be a question, actually. So good, we covered things. Um, the question will okay. A couple here from Jeff Lyles, who we'll get through rather uh, a couple ones. First, uh, will Jamie Ben fight David Backus at the Bruins game? Probably because Jamie and David Backus hate each other. Um. You know, I used to hate David Backus because for reasons that don't make sense. Because, you know, he's one of those guys that he plays hard and he plays hard against your team and you get mad at him. And then I actually had a phone conversation with him once. And he is probably the nicest dude in the National Hockey League. And I don't hate him anymore. That's was a very stupid story, but I actually like David Backus is probably my favorite player that's not on the stars. 
And he went through some shit this year, too. Like, mm-hmm. I, uh, that was, uh, like, he had, what, like, six, eight inches of his colon take. That's, that's insane. Literally, literally, that is shitty, literally. Yeah, no, I, so. I, right when I said he went through some shit, I'm like, that, that was a really bad pun, and I really feel bad about saying it. But, man, he's, he's a good dude, is mm-hmm. the moral of that story. But they will probably fight because that's what they do. <laughs> That's what happens when when they play when they play each other. Um, David Beck is just fights Canadians. Wow. Like, do you remember the lead up to the 2010 Olympics? He thought he fought like, oh God, I don't even remember who he fought. I think it was like Taves, and then like two other guys who were on the Canadian team too, and it was hysterical. Yeah, and he cemented yeah. himself as Captain America before that tournament even happened. Yeah, he's always done that. Um, we. Discuss. Tr- Jeff's got a second two-part question here. The first one is who will be traded, but I think we'll kind of we'll talk about that more with other questions as the podcast goes along. So the second part of his question, um, Jason Spezza, um, is this a bad year? Does he need a more dynamic player to play with? What do you think of his season? Uh, you take that one because I haven't watched enough to actually be able to formulate a very educated response to that question. Well, Jason Spezza is older, he's slower, he's playing less minutes, and he he's actually in a better spot. It's funny, because you, you'd think, even with that, he's actually in a better spot. Um, he's in a better spot with this coaching staff than he was with Lindy Ruff, believe it or not. So, I'm going to explain that, because I know that's going to sound weird to people. Um Jason Spezza would, when he played wing under Lindy Ruff, he would he would practice all week at center, and then the day of the game he would get moved to wing at some point during the game. Like he didn't practice at center. He wasn't there wasn't a clear line of communication. There wasn't an ex- defined role. Spezza actually likes the defined. He don't maybe he may not. I mean, at least he hasn't told me. I've spoken to him several times. He may not. He may not, deep down, may not like playing less minutes, but he actually likes having a defined role of knowing that if he's going to play winger coming up, Hitch will actually have him practice at wing. Uh, if he's going to, and yeah, sometimes there's no practice or something like that, but in general, they've done a good job of helping actually communicate and define the role he's going to play. Um, and so he's actually in a better spot that way. I mean, I think, does he need to play with a, does he need to play with better players? Probably it doesn't make sense to have him on the fourth line. But the other thing, too, is some players just age out of the NHL, really, what they can do. That's like, and I'm not saying Jason Spez isn't a NHL player, but people really, people really expect Jason Spez to be the old Jason Spez now. Like, that, that, that's a fair, is, is that, does anyone still expect him to be that player? Right. He's definitely, he's one guy on this team who's, contract value does not match with what the expectations for him should be and it's i mean it's a cold hard fact of getting old and some guys age differently than others like you got guys like yager who can play at a premium level into their 40s and then i mean some other it just hits some guys earlier and harder than it does other guys it just happens and the nhl i mean the other thing too is the nhl is it's gotten faster too and when as Jason Jason Spezza is going to be thirty five in June, he's thirty four now. 
Um, the NHL's gotten faster. We can all agree upon that. Uh, Spezza has gotten slower as the NHL's gotten faster. Spezza could easily... If Spezza was as fast as he was earlier in his career, fine. But he's also not... He doesn't have the speed to play the way he used to be able to either. Yeah, and I remember talking either la- end of last year or the beginning of this year that ideally with just what he is as a, as a defensive player and how he plays in terms of that speed, it would make more sense for him to be on the wing. And I mean, you could make, I obviously he still has talent and obviously you want talented players playing with talented players, but at this point it doesn't really make a ton of sense to have him playing on the top line or playing or splitting up that top trio and having him play with one of the other guys because he can be a good complementary player. And the stars are still kind of searching for some consistent secondary scoring. So that's having that defined role is it's not asking him to be the guy, but it's kind of asking him. I, I feel like a good spot for him is kind of having him down where there's not as much pressure on him, where he can kind of be the guy to lead some of the younger guys and try to make something out of that. If that makes sense. Yeah. And, and the thing about, I I've been asked before about why don't you put Spez on the top line? Um, and I also, I also personally, I don't like Brett Ritchie on, when they put Brett Ritchie on the top line either. So let me set the record straight on that real quick. Um, so why, why don't, why don't, why not Spez on the top line? Um, I think Sagan and Ben are enough to make up for Spez's defensive deficiencies. Now um, they weren't last year. They've both gotten, they've both gotten better defensively, but I also don't want Jason Spezza now at this point in his career playing 20 minutes a night against the other team's top defensive players. Like I want yeah, him playing. I want, I want him to get better matchups now, and he should be getting them. But even with these, he's averaging 13 minutes a night. Um, he's averaging 13 minutes a night, and he's. he's just... Well, and then you look at that too. He's a guy who can be clutch for you in the playoffs, assuming mm-hmm. they get to that level. Is kind of an old experienced guy and him playing less minutes now, obviously being an older guy, you're not putting as much wear and tear on that body. So he theoretically should be a little fresher as the season goes along, which could be beneficial when you get in the crunch time. And I get that you don't want to, not that this team's at a spot right now where it has to be using everything at its disposal and that, but I get the logic that you don't want to save your bullets when you're kind of in a dogfight. But I feel like this team is at a point where it doesn't have to cross that bridge yet. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's see. Next question here. Um, the question here is, what are the next five moves you see the Stars making in the front office? And I'm going to, if we don't answer that, we'll circle back, but I think other questions will kind of cover that. Um, so we'll top into other some other ones first. Um, let's see. We've got... Okay. Question here is, well, one question that was asked to us that I'll I'll throw your way that came up. Um, what about Anthony Duclair? I would love to have Anthony Duclair on this team because he's I mean he's young he's a he's, I mean he's look at the type of player that the stars kind of are leaning towards in their the bottom three quarters of their lineup. I mean, he's kind of one of those guys who I think he just kind of got lost in the shuffle in Arizona. He just needs a fresh start at this point. It's, I think it's a, I mean, this is obviously just my opinion, but I feel like throwing a player like that into 
a situation where it's a he's in a playoff race now. He's playing with a better team. He's playing with better players around him. Could energize him. I don't. I I kind of. I, this came out like twice. I feel like because I, I definitely saw it like two weeks ago that the the I guess it was two weeks ago that the Coyotes were reportedly looking to move him, and then this last week was him formally requesting a trade. And I mm-hmm. kind of looked at his number, his underlying because his point totals this year aren't very good, but his um, underlying numbers on that team. I mean, they're not his possession numbers aren't great, but Arizona's also a very bad hockey team, so it's kind of misleading. And he's middle of the road in terms of the forward group with what he has, but it, he just—I feel like he just kind of got lost in that winger shuffle. They have a lot of good young prospects coming up that I feel like they're giving more time to, and he just—I don't know if he fell out of favor or what, but I mean. He's a guy that I don't feel like would cost an arm and a leg to get. This is a team that I think once we get down to the trade deadline, I mean, assuming they don't make a move before then, if they if they do make a move at the deadline, I'm sure it will be for a scoring winger. And getting a guy like Anthony Duclair is going to be a hell of a lot cheaper than trying to go after Evander Kane or someone like that. Who's I don't I mean, especially we talked about this last year too that just the market gets all jacked up because the standings are artificially inflated with the loser's point. So there's not as much, there's not as many sellers out there for the amount of buyers that they're going to be. And especially now with Vegas playing the way that they've been playing, that takes basically takes James Neal off the market unless they absolutely collapse over the next month. Well, they're talking explosion with Neal now already. Right, exactly. So that's one guy that's off the market. I know they just re-signed Marchessault to a contract, too. Not that I think he would have been available anyway, but that's one theoretical possibility that wouldn't be out there. So there's not going to be a lot out there. So kind of striking early would be beneficial. And I think I've always liked Duclair as a player. I think his style would fit well with Dallas. He's a guy who plays with speed. And I certainly would like him in the lineup a lot more than I would like Remy Elliott in the lineup, if we're being completely honest. So... And what about I, this? A, what, what about what about this potential? Now you might have to throw a pick in to make it work. Um, John Chakio said he needs to. He wants a similar like player. Okay, if we're going similar like player, we're looking to player who probably a young guy that needs a fresh start, has raw talent, yada yada yada. What about Brett Ritchie for Anthony Duclair? I had a feeling that's where you were going with that, yeah. and I wouldn't. I mean. I like Brett Ritchie as a player. I think he can be a 25 goal scorer in the NHL, but he just, you haven't really seen it with him. And I think we're kind of, when you kind of put it that way, if they're, I don't think the situations are exactly the same, but I think it's kind of similar in the sense that Brett Ritchie kind of has gotten lost in the shuffle here in Dallas. So I, yeah, I think, I don't know if, like, like you said, I don't know if straight up that would be something that's feasible, but I, I certainly think that's there's there could be something to that. Yeah. The uh what what do you think it would take in theory? Do you think do you think Arizona would need a bit more for to take for Richie or what what do you think it would take a pick, a prospect? What do you think it I'm sure they'd like to, but I mean I think I see I with the way that it's so it's so hard to sit here and say that Arizona is in a spot where they want to fast rebuild because I don't know, I, but I could see them feasibly being a team next year that explodes because they have an asinine amount of young talent on that team that needs time to kind of marinate and get together. They have a pretty good goalie in Ranta. 
They have a number one, a theoretical number one center at Stepan. They have a pretty good group of defensemen. And I mean, they're kind of in a situation where they need to start doing something because if they don't, they're going to lose Oliver Ekman Larson, who I believe is unrestricted, not this coming off season, but the next. So if Uh, you'd like, you'd ideally like to get something going before then they had that the last hockey news that I had had an article about him and he seems to like playing in Arizona and he seems to have the right mentality for wanting to help turn that around. But as a competitor, you also sit there and you look, well, we've been to the playoffs once the last seven years, and this I don't really want to tie myself down for another eight years of possibly making a playoff run and then otherwise rebuilding. So I, I, I feel like Brett Ritchie would be kind of an ideal guy to throw into that situation because he's someone that you can plug into your lineup right now, and maybe if you throw in a third or fourth round pick too, then that kind of seals the deal. Mm-hmm. Um, I also... This is also me not knowing what the market for Anthony Duclair is. I can't imagine that it's piping hot because he hasn't really been a guy that we've heard a lot from since he got traded to Arizona. So I don't know if there'd necessarily be a bidding war for his services, but at the same I I'm not plugged in, so I wouldn't know. So theoretically I I could see that making sense, but obviously there's a lot more variables involved. Yeah, we'll have to uh it's something to kick around. I mean, it's Duclair's really interesting. Uh, I was going through his splits the other day. Um, he's got, of his points this year, he has um, of, of his points this year, about 80% of them have come on the road, actually. Um, it's it's just kind of an odd, it's kind of an oddity, where he has played very well on the road, and he just not played very well at home. And maybe it's I mean, Arizona's not the easiest place to play. It's there's not a lot of people there. It's it's hard to get up. Maybe I don't know, but just it's just uh, food for thought on that. Um, also, there's potential there, and I, I think he could come in and he could fit well. Um, next question, which I'll probably field unless you have an opinion on this: um, What player down in Cedar Park do you think will have the greatest impact late in the season if called up? Uh, probably Dickinson, if I had to guess, but he's kind of been up and down already, but that, that would, my list would kind of begin and end with that. Yeah. Um, I don't think, I don't think Rope Hints is ready for a call up this year for, to play. Um, I don't, I don't think he's ready to, to be a call up this year just because what he does defensively, I don't think he'll fit a role with Hitch this year. Um, not that he hasn't earned that spot, I just don't think he'll come up and be able to play what Hitch wants him to play right away. Um, so I think Dickinson is the best option there. Um, now, the other guy who comes to mind, and you just hope, you knock on wood and hope this doesn't happen, if the Stars were to have injuries injuries beyond what they have right now um, and needed a def- need someone to come up for a couple weeks, uh, Dylan Hetherington has played very well down in Cedar Park and... Um, I think he, in theory, could have a if 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 caused by injury, in theory, um, in theory he could be a uh, he could have the biggest impact just because of that fill-in role. So yeah, I would agree with that as well. That would that's about all I could see. I doubt because kind of along the same vein for a guy like Denis Gurionov to get the call up to you have to have 
like five guys go down with the flu at the same time or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple of prospects questions. Going, I'm going to combine these two. Um, the first question is from Jay King. Um, is how bright does the Stars' future look for the Stars with current prospects such as Heiskanen, Robertson, Tufty, Point, etc.? And then the question right after that is, I'd love to hear a little bit about your thoughts on Heiskanen at juniors. Things seemed to look easy for him when the puck was on his stick, but it did appear he may have a little work to do strictly on his do on strictly on his defensive work. So let's talk about prospects, World Junior stuff. Um, starting with Heiskanen, I'll let you uh, tee off on that to start, because I have an opinion that it, to retort to the question already. <laughs> okay. Um, no, I thought I thought Miro looked good. Um, I don't think Finland was as good as everyone expected them to be in terms of. Obviously, they had a tough draw with the U.S., and I missed the U.S. game, and I'm kind of pissed about that. Um, I'm also pissed that Jake Ottinger didn't get more of a look because it seemed like Bob Motzko was set on Joseph Wall, and I don't really understand why. I feel like Ottinger should have got more of a look after that Finland game, but whatever. Um, no, but, I mean, obviously, Miro's a guy who's been playing against adults for a season and a half now or whatever. So playing against his own own age group is obviously not a, it's not a step down in competition, but in terms of the physicality of the game, it's a little bit less intense, I guess to say. And obviously as a, like what's he 18, an 18 year old defenseman, they, mm-hmm. the mantra seems to be that defensemen take a little bit longer to develop than forwards. So there's obviously a lot of work to do, but I think it was encouraging and it was nice to actually get to see him play in a live situation where, as you mentioned when we did our preview, it wasn't grainy finish or video highlights. Mm-hmm. Well, <clears throat> and to answer the question asked, one thing to ask the question that was, it seems like, it seems looked easy for him when the puck was on a stick, but it did appear he may have had a little work to do strictly on his defensive work. That's actually his strength. His strength in defensive end. He is, his work in the defensive end and his stick work, um, and his positioning on the defensive end are the are are what going are the things that would make him make are things that will turn him into an NHL option for Ken Hitchcock in October. His I, I his his defensive work was he, I thought he was actually good defensively in the tournament. Um, I thought I actually thought offensively we saw how easy he was with the puck on his stick. The one thing I would have liked to see was just maybe a couple more moments of. Like we saw, there was moments where Rasmus Dahlin basically said, "I'm taking over the hockey game." I, I want. I would have liked to see a couple of moments of those from from Miro Heiskanen, just as far as I'm going to take, I'm going to step up at this moment and prove I'm the best player on the ice. And uh, we saw now Dahlin's an incredible player, but we saw moments from like that from Dahlin where, and I just wanted to see a couple more things like that from Heiskanen. I can't. I'm not nitpicking anything. I thought overall, you can't blame him for anything that happened with the Finns, but. I just would have liked to see a little bit more of that. Um, now, that's just my opinion, though. And I thought he was actually good defensively. But offensively, I would have liked to see him take... Because we saw how easy it was. I would have liked to see him actually jump up a little bit more and do a little bit more with the puck and maybe create a little bit more, actually. Hasn't that always been kind of the thing about his games, that he has a ton of offensive skill, but he doesn't necessarily always... He's It's like he almost kind of defers more so than he takes charge. Well, it's it's why it's actually why he, if, ironically enough, if not ironically, that's a terrible word choice. It's actually why he w- works he works perfectly in the future as either Klingberg or Honka's partner long term, because he is that he is so good defensively. He makes that first pass really well, 
Um, and he doesn't need to be, he doesn't need to create and be like that all the time to, to get into a rhythm. But on the flip side, I'd like to see him do it. <laughs> right, right. So, but yes, that is kind of one of the, not even knocks, just kind of points about him. Um, the other other guys, I mean, overall, let's just stick with kids you saw in that tournament, Ryan. I mean, what do you think looking at how the Stars, I mean, it's a good thing to have six 18-year-olds playing in World Junior. Like, that's, that's, a, that's a good thing for an organization. No, and I think probably, I, I mean, we did, I feel kind of, uh, I'm feeling pretty good about, uh, I remember in the junior preview tournament talking about little nations that can make some noise, saying that if there was a less prominent nation that could make noise, that it would be the Czechs, and the Czechs were outstanding in that tournament. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's, obviously, Stars prospect Andre Vala on that team, good experience for him. I thought he was good, thought he too, was good. actually. He didn't play a huge role, but I thought he was good in the role they asked him to play. And you need, you need obviously you need players like that on your team. So it'll be interesting to see how he how his trajectory continues to develop as an a guy who was undrafted, assigned as an undrafted guy. It's you never know how those guys are going to play out. So I'm interested to continue to follow his trajectory. Um, I think the most interesting, and obviously we didn't get a ton of it in this tournament because neither of them played a ton. But I am so intrigued by the future. Colton Point versus Jake Ottinger debates that are going to happen because I, I on the uh, the stars tweeted out uh, Colton Point's first game back he pitches yeah. a thirty seven yeah. save shutout for Colgate so day by day it seems like he's gaining ground on Ottinger who wasn't I thought he was good in the couple of games that he played I didn't watch the end of the uh, the bronze medal game because it was already like six nothing and I was a little disappointed to see that he let in three that was a tough but, um, game that was a tough game to watch from any perspective just because it was a 9-3 game like it was, that was right tough. and yeah. obviously when you're you're up you're already up six nothing and yeah obviously you're not as into the game then and whatever but i didn't i didn't even watch the highlights because i like i don't really give a shit it's the bronze medal game but and obviously colton point he got the one game where he i don't even remember they, they he pitched a shutout in a game where they gave up like 12 shots or something like that so well, he, had, he, had, a, he, had, he had 20 he had a 20 safe shutout actually but oh, it was, well, it was but they played what the Swiss or Belarus or something like that. Someone uh, that they, I, think it, I think it was the Belarusians. I might be wrong, but I believe it was the Belarusians. Denmark. Yeah, it was someone they shouldn't mm-hmm. kick the crap out of, and they did. But um, I I don't think it's a conversation that I expected to have. I don't know if you expected to have it, but I mean, either way, it's a great problem to have that you have. You know, you have your blue chip goaltending prospect who you drafted in the first round, who's having a tough year, but he still has obviously the pedigree, and then you have another guy who's clawing his way up and making a name for himself in a big way so it's either way you're it, it looks like the stars have their goaltender of the future in the system somewhere it's just kind of a matter of who it's going to end up being and if it turns out to be both those guys then that's even better because then you got one and you trade the other one and you help yourself somewhere else here's the uh so here's one of the incredible things about colton point like if i told you his numbers um uh, like if if Pulling is trying to pull his stats up right now. Uh, if if I told you a guy had a 1.79 goals against average and a 9.42 save percentage in college hockey, this is with Colgate. How many shots a game do you think he'd be facing? See, 9.40 though. So you got there has to be a pretty decent volume there. So I'd say like, I mean, just me, I'd say like somewhere between 28 to 33 or something like that. 
So he has, and I'm doing quick math right here, which is always dangerous. Um, he is averaging, he's averaging 30.8 30, 30. saves per game. That's bonkers. Like, don't like, you don't like to see your goaltender face that much rubber on a night-in and night-out basis. Mm-hmm. So, but he has 10 games this year where he's faced at least 30 shots. Two of his shutouts this year, um, if you're Princeton, you have to be extra. I don't know if we have any Princeton hockey listeners, but he, so he's, he's shut out Princeton twice this year. Princeton have, he's faced 80 shots from Princeton and has 80 saves. Good God. That is... <laughs> So, yeah, if you're Princeton, you have to be kind of ticked off at Colton Point. Uh, but he's he's been a great story this year. He's probably one of the best prospect stories of the year with his um, the way he's kind of seized that role. And, I mean, Colgate could be – Colgate is a – let's see what Colgate's record was during the uh, – during while, – while Colgate – while he was – I'm looking at Colgate's schedule right now. While he was gone for World Junior – they were, and I think this probably tells you more than anything about how valuable he is to their team. Um, when, where's the team by team schedule? Come on, because they're they're seventeenth in the nation right now. That's what you get for going to USCHL and just not the team website, bud. Well, they don't have the game log. Is okay. I got it now. So. His first game back with them was the shutout against Princeton, where they the thirty-seven uh, save shutout against Princeton on January sixth. Um, well, he was being frustrated here. Well, he was gone. Well, he was gone in both the World the Junior Camp and the uh, in the World Juniors. They only had three games, but they allowed. They allowed 11 goals in the three games he wasn't there. Oof. And then he comes back and there's a shutout. The game before that, he... A couple games of like, so he is... That team could be in the NCAA tournament in a bowl because of him. Which is... Yeah, pretty much. Fun to watch as a, from a Stars future perspective. I'd like to see Ottinger play better. That's the other thing, too. Is I don't Ottinger's haven't had a bit of a down year. Um, I think there's still a lot there, but um, you'd like to see him kind of after you get drafted in the first round pick and everything like that, you'd like to see him kind of uh, take that next step, right? Yeah, BU as a whole, though, has been pretty subpar this year. So I don't know how much of that has to do with the fact that he's struggled or yeah, how the team yeah. has struggled. I mean, when you playing... I mean, teams like BU are generally elite year in and year out, but sometimes it's kind of fickle with when you get those one and dones because, you know, it kind of mucks with chemistry. You don't have as much year-to-year continuity. I know they lost. I don't remember how many guys they had signed after last season, but I know Kiefer Bellows went and went the junior route after. So, I mean, obviously, I, you know, he was kind of a, a passenger on the world junior team last year, and then he goes out and scores 10 goals in the tournament this year. So, obviously, that's a big loss for them too. So, I don't know how much of that is just – obviously, his numbers aren't as good, so he plays some impact on it. But I don't know if that's – if the – if they're struggling a bit more because he's not playing as well, or if he's not, his numbers don't refl- aren't as reflective because the team isn't playing as well in front of him. I don't watch BU, so I don't really yeah. know. Yeah. Um, one prospect I want to touch on who wasn't at World Junior because we were asked about him um, was Jason Robertson playing with Kingston. 
it's Kingston is loading up. It's weird. Like you think about the OHL and what are the teams you you typically think it's the London Knights or Erie who's uh, who's buying and, and, and loading up on prospects. But this year, Kingston, yeah. Um... I don't know. I don't follow Canadian junior hockey at all, but they just traded like they just traded Rob Thomas, Max Jones, and someone else. I think all three guys who were pretty big name prospects. So I'm a that that shocked me because yeah, that's London is usually one of those teams that's Memorial Cup every other year or something like that. Yeah, and so you have you have a, team, a Kingston team that is loading up with talent. Last night, Jason, uh, two nights ago, Jason Robertson actually had five assists. Um. And that's exciting to see that, you know what, there's a good chance Robertson could be playing deep in the OHL playoffs and hopefully playing for Memorial Cup and things along those lines. The other thing that's interesting, too, is, and this goes back to, I'm going to bring up a current Stars player, playing with all the best players in the world doesn't necessarily, isn't always, it's kind of, it's kind of an interesting balance, right? Because you yeah. want, you want a guy to... Jason Robertson was drafted because of how he kind of put that team on his back, and he did a lot where he had to put that team on his back and kind of create. And now it's he's got all these tools to work with, and good for him. He's going to end his junior career that way. The key for me with all of these guys here, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with winning or anything like that. The key for me for Jason Robertson is figuring out how to still be, how to still continue to take steps forward without just relying on all these other big names that they've come in because. Um, for example, and he was, uh, for example, and he was playing with Remy Ellie's final year in the OHL, right? He had, doing a lot of looking up of stats today. <laughs> um, Remy Ellie's fi- final year in the OHL, he had 42 points in 28 games after getting traded to Erie. You know whose line he was on? Probably somebody good, knowing that the guys that have come through Erie the last three, four years. Was it? Hold on, let me guess because I, I have it narrowed down to three. Was it Strom? It was Connor McDavid. I uh, see. I was going to say McDavid, but I couldn't remember <laughs> yeah. if that was. I couldn't remember yeah. if they were overlapped at the same time. I thought so, I sh- that was my next guess. So Ellie had great numbers coming out of Erie, and we're like, we looked at those numbers, and it was exciting, and everything like that. And then he's not really a goal scorer. In, in, at the pro level, so um, and I don't really know where I was going with this point. This has been a bad digression, but basically, Jason Robertson, good. He's going to play deep into the playoffs. But the other thing is going to be how can he can he continue to be a leader on that team? Can he continue to not take a step back? To not can he not use that as a crutch to be well? I can do less with all these guys. Just it'll be interesting. Just it, see the the reason I wouldn't worry about that though is he has four more points than second most on that team and then 19 more than the guy after that so even if they add two guys they still don't really have a lot to rely on that's fair that's fair okay um next question let's move on um who are your realistic trade deadline targets thoughts on any of kane reinhardt simmons or lekanen or or this question is from nathan graham what was the last name uh lekanen who? You're gonna tell yeah. me who this is, and I'm gonna feel like a dumbass. But Arturi Lekkonen and for plays for oh, Montreal. Oh, that's right. That's right. Okay. Um, Simmons is in Wayne Simmons. Yeah. 
Oh, I didn't know he was on. I don't know if Philly's trying to move. I didn't know that. Um, I mean, I, in an ideal world, Evander Kane or Wayne Simmons would fit swimmingly on this team. I just don't know if I, Evander Kane, especially because he's a, I think he's a guy on an expiring contract. So there's no long-term commitment if that doesn't work out. But obviously those are the guys that fetch the largest returns. So it's one of those where you have to think of, you have to look at the Simmons real quick, economically. Since, real quick, Simmons does have one more year, so he wouldn't be a pure rental. He has a, he's got a modified no trade clause and he'd be at a cap hit of 3.9, uh, 3.97 for the following well, see, year. That's, that's, uh, that's, See, I'd like that a lot, too, because then you get an extra year out of him, and then maybe he's a guy who develops chemistry with Tyler Sagan, and, and then you're like, hey, what's up? But no, and then he runs out before the the uh, the win- the summer of Tyler when you got to get him re-signed. So, I mean, either of those guys would obviously work very well, um, but when you're talking about big-name players like that, it becomes a, uh, a conversation of, is the price going to be worth it? And I don't know with either of those guys that the price would necessarily be worth it. I would love either of them, but I'd start, I think the, see, Arturi Lakin is a guy who he's pretty young still. And I, I'm, he's not, I'm a, not sold on Lakin in either. So I, I think it'd be, he'd be an interesting guy. Um, more of a, I, when you look at Kane and Simmons, those are guys that you know what you're going to get. And, so it's kind of like those two tiers with it. So you're either getting a proven scorer who's going to cost you a ton. I don't know that Arteri Lakenin or Anthony Duclair, obviously we already talked about the latter in that mm-hmm. case. I don't know that either would cost a ton, but they're also guys that if you trade for them, I, you're not necessarily guaranteeing that you're going to get a huge upgrade. Yeah. So it's a little bit of a risk reward with that, but at the same time, you're also not giving up a truckload to get them either. So they, I generally, I mean, if the price is right for either Sims or Kane, then I say go for it. But I just don't know that it would be worth it necessarily. See, I'm not sold. I'm not sold on Evander Kane, um, but that's not a hockey reasons. I just, I'm not sold on him as coming in, and I don't know if I think there is there is something to an element of this. Of this is there are egos and there are th- other things to manage. So I don't know Evander Kane on that part of things. Personally, um, I know I also don't know Evander Kane that well. As far as personally, I've spoken to Wayne Simmons quite a couple times. Um, I actually think Wayne Simmons would be a great fit in Dallas. I think he would be. He can play both left wing or right wing. He can be. Um, he can play left wing or right wing. He can play. He can be that net front. He can be that net front power play guy, which. Um, he can be a net front power play guy on either unit. Well, he's probably one of the best net front power play guys in the NHL, frankly, and just in that individual role. And um, he would certainly solve that top six scoring issue. Vander Kane is a good hockey player. I just, for me, there's I'm getting hung up on a couple. There's a couple. I don't know if he would fit the team in the other elements that require a team to have success. Yeah, that seems like the uh, he's. That was kind of the same thing that people said about Radulov when he came over, and obviously he's done a fantastic job of dispelling that in an emphatic way, but with Evander Kane, I feel like those questions are going to be around for <laughs> until he kind of does a lot to shut them up, basically. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think, I mean, Wayne Simmons having a li- I think he's kind of gotten, not necessarily lost in the shuffle that is, I mean, he's still, what, fifth on the, fifth on the team in points? Sounds right. But, 
he's not not quite as explosive as he'd been in past years. He's all I mean, fifty point pace isn't bad, especially when you look at the cap hit that he's getting. But um mm-hmm. no, so I I agree wholeheartedly. I think Wayne Simmons would be a great addition to the team. I think Evander Kane I mean if you with I mean with the guys they have on this team, I feel like they could get him to kind of I mean, because if you look at, and I don't want to say that it's a reclamation project, but I mean, what was the knock on Sagan when Boston traded him? That he's not a good teammate, that he doesn't fit the culture. What was the knock on Alex Radulov was, before he okay, came okay, over? Okay, real, quick, real, real quick on Sagan. No. Was that a public view? Or is that a view the Bruins used to justify trading him? That's fair. I mean, like, okay, because okay, it was a view the Bruins used to justify trading him that they then got every lapdog in the Boston media to repeat, rinse, repeat for, and I feel like they they I, I it, and it, I, it was something that I feel like was talked about a lot that season. But if you look at the grand scheme of it, it was probably shit that was leaked by the front office as talking points to be like, hey, we have these questions. Get, I'm I'm an unnamed source. Go out and write this kind of thing um and i with evander kane his his kind of i don't want to call him spats but his difficulties away from the ice have been 100 percent self-inflicted like the whole the uh during the lockout the last lockout the whole stacks of money on the telephone in vegas and whatnot it's i mean he's also i feel like for the most i mean for the most part i don't remember if his he had a, was it with a cabbie he had an incident with? He had an incident with someone in Buffalo where he knocked someone out or something like that. He's I don't had, remember. He's, this. Had a, he's had a couple off ice incidents. Well, yes, yeah. but I don't remember yeah. if his last one was this summer or last summer. But I, I feel like for the most part, since the season started at least, I haven't heard a ton out of Buffalo regarding him. So maybe he's a guy who's like he just needed to grow up, age a little bit, and find himself as a person or whatever you want to say. So. Real, real, quick, real quick, to be, just to be fair, so we're not slandering anyone. Um, it was the other Kane who beat up the cabbie. Oh, I know Patrick Kane hit a cabbie, but I don't. Re- like, he was. I don't remember if it was this off season or last off season that a Van- that a Vander Kane had some sort of scuffle in Buffalo, and somebody was making a joke about cabbie canes and cabbies in Buffalo. Okay. I don't remember. Okay. Fair. Yeah, but I would. I personally, if I'm picking between those, I'd go Simmons. Um, the other names that are, the other name that I would go after, that people haven't mentioned, is I would trade for Pacioretty. <laughs> yes, that would, dude. I, I see. I would target that. I, oh, dude. If we're ta- if we're targeting Montreal, I'm calling Mark Bergevin and saying, Pacioretty and Galchenyuk, let's let's go, let's do this right now, because that man is. His demands for Max Pacioretty are he wants a scoring left winger or a scoring winger in the NA, an NHL scoring winger. There have been like five guys in the NHL who have more goals than Max Pacioretty the last four years. It, and none of those guys are getting traded for Max Pacioretty. Like I don't, I don't understand Mark Bergevin's logic on this. Like if you're going to trade him, blow it up and start over, but you're not going to trade Max Pacioretty and get someone better than Max Pacioretty. What about this deal? I'm going to throw a deal out there. And tell me if you would do it. Antoine Roussel, Brett Ritchie, and a forward prospect, either Dickinson 
Either Dick, either Dickens, uh, potentially Dickinson for Pacioretty. I'd do that in a heartbeat. I just don't think Montreal would. I think Roussel holds more weight to get traded there because of the French. That's thing. true. That's like, true. But I don't know if it's that much more weight, though. I know. I'm just. I'm just. I'm just. I'm just saying. Antoine Roussel holds more weight in the Montreal market than he does than say the Carolina. I'm just making pulling a random city out of my ass, but no, for sure, yeah. for sure. But I, I see. I, I could if I was if I was Jim Mill, that'd be my first offer because that's a freaking steal. But I, I, and I mean, Mark Bergevin is, I feel like dumb enough to do something like that. But, um, <laughs> I, I mean, that's not a, if I'm Jim Nolan, that's the conversation, conversation started. It's not a bad place to start for sure. I'm not sure if you could get that done, but I think that you could start the conversation that way. If you were to call up Montreal and if you were to call up Montreal and start to try and offer a package of, if you start. think about it, though, if we're talking about Max Pacioretty and Mark Bergevin once at least an experienced NHL player coming back, who else can the Stars feed? Who's, who better can the Stars give than Antoine Roussel off this roster without completely hamstringing them? Because you're mm-hmm. not, we're, I'm assuming that the top three are completely, we're, and I'm not, that's not even me making a far fetched assumption. The top three are completely off the table in this regard. What, pl- what better player on, at, on this NHL roster right now at forward, would you be able to trade that Antoine Roussel? No, Antoine Roussel is the player that I, th- I felt like there's an option. He could get traded at this point any time this year because, A, if the Stars fell off a cliff and had a year like last year, he would be the player that would be kind of sold off as the as the rental because of his contract status and everything like that. Um, so if they were bad, that would have been the option. If they were to become a seller... Now, on the flip side, he's also he's going to demand more money in the open market at the start of next season. And because of that, Roussel is the player that would be makes most sense to trade in getting another asset back because you're probably going to lose him on July 1st anyway. So, it's no, it's, you're right. If there's a player that is the most tradable asset on the Stars right now as far as easiest to pull the trigger if you're the GM and you're calling the owner about it, it it's Roussel. Well, not only for that regard, but in just in terms of an actual trade value. Yes. What other forward on this team would would any t- other team want, really? If I guess is the root of my question. Like none that are available. I, none that are available. Yeah. Like I mean, exactly. I, know, I, I know I know someone will. I know there'll be a response. Oh, well, what about Jason Spezza? No one wants Jason Spezza. <laughs> like, not at that cap. Not at that cap. It for another yes. year. Yes. So. And I think. For that specific, I think that trade has a lot more likelihood of happening if Montreal falters the next six to eight weeks and Mark Bergevin decides it's time to rebuild because then the Stars have a lot more chips to play with. But if we're just talking about NHLer for NHLer straight up, I don't think the Stars have the chips to get that done. I don't think. The Stars 100% do not have the chips to get that done with pieces they'd be willing to move. Yes. They would have to. Uh, it would be. It would. Ta- it definitely would take a NHL or player plus. So that's why I'd have to go to a team that is in the sell mode and trying to build for the future. Um, last question from the uh, from unless someone else tweets at us while we're still talking here. Um, stars, all stars this year. Klingberg and Radulov. Agree or disagree? I disagree because Tyler Sagan's going to be in because the league loves Tyler Sagan in the All Star game and he finished in the top five in voting, but. 
Klingberg and Radulov are probably the two most deserving, even though it'll be Sagan and Rad- probably be Sagan and Klingberg. I'm still trying to figure this out of how it'll be, just because of the central division. You get three defensemen, right? I think so. I don't. Remember. That's the thing is I don't remember exactly how the rules go for each team and how it's different than in past years. It's okay. Here it's three, three defensemen. Yeah, let's play around with this here because we 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 tried to discuss this on the. Uh, um, we tried to discuss this on the CarCast the other day, but it, we don't have a uh, someone. We're driving, so we probably shouldn't be using the internet. Um, it's three. It's three defensemen, six forwards, and two goalies. Out of seven teams, so the Stars have a better likelihood to get three guys in just because and every, they have yeah, and every seven team, teams and, in the division. Yeah, and every team has to have a. Every team has to have a, have a player on the team, so. If we're going through, well, just to start off, well, let's play this game real quick. Who are the two goalies on the on the on the Central Division All Star team? Uh, probably Connor Hellebuck and Dubnik, I think. Well, Dubnik's been kind of average this year. I don't remember. But is there anyone else on Minnesota that's been deserving? That's true. So, so you probably get Devin Dubnik just because he's going to be the only guy Minnesota throws in there. And you probably get Dubnik. I mean, no one's been better than Hellebuck in the division. I mean, the fact Corey Crawford's hurt, um, I think Dubnik's, Dubnik and, and Hellebuck are your goalies. So, okay. Your defenseman, then. One spot is taken by P.K. Subban. It has to be since he got voted in as the captain. Is John Klingberg one of your other t- Is John Klingberg a lock as one of your other two? Unquestionably. Sorry, I missed the volume button for a second because if you look at just looking strictly at a statistical standpoint, the only other defenseman with at least 28 points in the division, not named P.K. Subban or John Klingberg, is Petrangelo at 29. Mm-hmm. And there's no one else within spitting this. You have Petrangelo's at 29, Tyson Berry's at 27. And you don't, and this isn't a situation where you have to throw Tyson Berry in there. Because Nathan McKinnon's going to be an all-star. Yes. He's been absolutely fantastic this year. So I think it'll be... I don't know who the three will be, but John Klingberg will be one of the three. My bet unquestionably. Would, my, my bet would be Petrangelo, Subban, and Klingberg. That's my bet there. Yeah, I'd buy that. So that gets, that gets, gets us to our forwards. So if we've got Dubnik, uh, Dubnik from Minnesota, Hellebuck from Winnipeg, Subban's from Nashville, Klingberg's from Dallas, Petrangelo... Colorado's the last. Colorado needs a team, and that'll be McKinnon, right? Yep. You're getting McKinnon. You might even get Rantanen in there too. Maybe. Um, and then what is every who's in for Chicago? Is it going to be? It's either Kane or Taves. Kane. It'll be Kane. Kane's okay. got 40 points. Okay. So if, if it's if it's plus, plus Kane in three on three is just yes. must see TV. Okay. So say you have Kane and McKinnon in here. You've we've got in every team covered through defensemen and goalies with the players two forwards. So there's four forward spots left then. You probably it's hard not to put Schwartz in, right? Uh see, he's been hurt for a while, so I don't know that. Yeah, it's true. That's he, true. I don't. I don't but, know. And plus, and and, and, it, and, and Shifley's hurt too. So, Plea, like, is he like hurt not playing? Well, that's true because Schwartz. Schwartz just. I think I just saw. I don't know if he just started skating or if he was just if they just took his cast off and he was walking around with it. So I don't know that he 
be because what's the All Star game in like two and a half weeks? It's like the yeah, it's like the twenty eighth, twenty ninth, right? It's like twenty days or something like that. So I don't know that he'd even be healthy enough to go for that. Um, and is Shifley like what's? I don't know what uh, Shifley's injury status uh, is. Shifley's injury. Did he? What is Shifley's injury? But I mean, even even regardless, if you're looking at those two teams, you have yeah, Shifley, Blake Wheeler. Shifley's out six to eight weeks, so he's he's with the uh, with the uh, upper body injury. He's out through, so he's not in for the All Star game. Okay. Okay, but either regardless, you have. I mean, Blake Wheeler will be there, so, and so you got another so we, Winnipeg guy. We, in there. Wheeler's in, so that that leaves us three spots. So is Braden Shen's in? Probably right. I would imagine either either or of Braden Shen and Vlad Tarasenko will be there. So if Shen and Tarasenko are in, you only have a spot for one more Dallas forward. Um, and then that, at this point, it will probably... Yeah, I was going to say, if you were looking just at a statistical standpoint, at this point it'd come down to Miko Rantanen, Tyler Sagan, Jamie Benn, Alex Radulov, possibly Eric Stahl, if you're looking for some sort of... Like, I mean, I guess you could make an argument for Line A too, because that's another... Th- I, how do these get named? I don't even know the name. Like, is it voted on by the players? Uh, well, it's picked by the NHL. Okay, so then the, yeah, there's then. the fan voting for the All Star. For there's the fan voting for the um, there's a fan voting for the the captaincy, but then the league picks the rest of the roster. So, so in that case, I could I, honestly I could probably see Eric Stahl getting in just because he's been around for a while. He's having another good year, and the NHL is stupid like that in a lot of ways where you do this life achievement shit. So I could see that. Um, so it would honestly, it would not surprise me if zero Dallas forwards get invited. Um, but I don't think more than one would, it'll either be Sagan or Radulov if either of them get it. And I think uh, both of both Sagan and Radulov check off the box that Jamie Ben doesn't check off where people, they are, for lack of a better word, exciting and have people who... They have personalities? Yes. Well, Jamie has a personality, it's just he decides not to show it publicly at all. Oh, he's a pretty private dude. Yeah. Which is fine, that's more power to him. Yeah. Um, we'll end this with, uh, I think, which is not going... I say it's going to be a quick exercise, but it's. I'm going to have you jump... So I put out these... Uh, did you see I put out the polls earlier with uh, mid-season grades? Yes, I did. So I'm going to go through real quick... I'm working on a story for mine. Mine will come out tomorrow in a story, so people can read mine in a story tomorrow. But I'm going to go through and give you. I want you. I'm going to go down the roster, and I want you to give me your quick, uh, your quick grade by player, and you can give a quick justification if you feel like you have to defend it. Okay. Far away. Okay. Well, we're going to go in number order. That's what these are in. Um, Dan Hamhuse. B plus, at least you'd have to say, just because of. I mean the stability that him and Patterson have. I, I I feel like I could justify my grading criteria, and part of this grading criteria is based on what I expected out of them, and I honestly didn't expect a ton from Dan Hamus this year. So B plus, I'd say. John Klingberg. Uh, I can't give enough pluses at the end of the A that I would give to John Klingberg. Julius Hanka. See, that's a tough one because when when Julius Honka has played, I I get that he's not playing tough minutes and he's not playing a ton of minutes, 
But when Julius Honka has played, he has been a possession horse. He just hasn't played a ton. And the stats obviously aren't there for him, which is fine because, you know, you don't, you already got one guy in the blue line who's kind of carrying the load. You don't need, obviously, you'd like to have more than one guy, but that's not really what the position that he was put in to do. I, for him, I would, I wouldn't even be, I don't think I'd give him a letter grade. I'd give him an incomplete, if that makes sense. Fine. That's, that's fair. Um, Martin Hansel. Uh, F. Also with an incomplete because he's been hurt, but I mean, that signing has been an absolute dud so far. Radic Foxa. Um, I did vote in the Fox one. I think I gave him a B. Okay. I would give him, he's I been would, good. I would give him an A, but that's just based off. Yeah, you can make an argument either way, I'd say. Um, Yanmark. Yanmark, I think I gave an A to because, again, just based on expectations that I had coming into the year, he's on, what's he on? He's on pace for like an upper 40 point season, which is good. Very good. Um, mm-hmm. but considering that there's a, there was a, he was at, he, had, he, he, he was at 20 exactly at the 41. He was at the 40 point pace at the exact midpoint of the season. Okay. So yeah, you're, if you, I, I figured if you got what you got out of him his rookie year, it would be a great year for him, all things considered. So I gave him an A. Jamie Ben. Uh, Jamie, I give an A minus two. Um, Honestly, him, him and Sagan, I'd give both an A minus two because you'd like them to be better than a point per game. But this goes, I mean, this is something we could talk about for ages. Like you look at Madonna in his prime when he was playing with Hitchcock. He was never, mm-hmm. he wasn't consistently a point per game guy or a guy who was putting up 90 points on a consistent basis just because that wasn't what the system called for. So I think they're, they're both doing exactly what they need to do within the system, but me being selfish and looking at the points you'd like to see ideally a little more out of both of those guys but they've both done exactly what they needed to do this off this year uh, this one has caused quite a bit of uh this one is there's quite a split on this one and deservedly so because i'm not sure it's been hard to make up make it of a season Devin shore see him him i'd say passing but barely because he's been good at times But his underlying, like his possession numbers his, are just not good at all. And he should not be playing in the type of role that he, like if he was a guy that was playing like 12, 13 minutes a night, I could get, but they like, they've had guys in the past where they try to shoehorn into these roles just for whatever reason. And I feel like that's kind of what they're doing with Devin Shore this year is they're shoehorning him into a role that he's not either able to play or he's not quite yet equipped to play. So I, I don't know that it's necessarily his fault, but he's just been, he's been pretty like the, the point total is nice, but it's everything else is just screaming at me. Like eh, this is not a great hockey player. So I'd say C minus Tyler Pitlick. I'd give a solid B to Tyler because again, um, with his injury history, and the contract, I mean, the contract they gave him, you knew he was going to be around this year and he was going to be a player, but it was also one of those things that it wasn't a huge contract. So if they got anything out of him, it would look good. And he's been great this year. Um, B, B plus, definitely. Antoine Roussel. Uh, same range as Tyler, I would say. Solid B. Um, 
offensively, you'd think that you'd get a little more out of him, but I mean, he again, he's playing his role perfectly. Hessel Lindell. <sighs> B minus. He's been better. He's been a lot better this year. And for a second year guy, he's still playing well. And I, I, the conversation I see a lot on Twitter is that he's not necessarily gotten better, but he understands his own game better, so he's kind of able to mask his shortcomings a bit better. Doesn't that make you better? As a I human guess. being, as a human being, in theory, if if I if I told you I was bad at something and I figured out how to not do that bad thing, doesn't that make me better? That's true, but that's kind of, that's why I give him a, a B minus because I, in an ideal situation, you wouldn't you're not avoiding doing the bad thing. You're trying to figure out how to make it better, which obviously in this is <laughs> comparing life to up to hockey is a little, it's a little different, but, um, and it's not necessarily as easy to do that in season, but he's been good. He's, I, I, he's been perfectly fine this year, which I mean, with some of these guys, all you need for them is for them to kind of not screw up, which for the most part, I feel like he's not done this year. So it, I think it's an encouraging step forward that he's taken so far this year. Brett Ritchie. Uh, D. I'm not going to elaborate on that further. He's just been, he's, he disappoints me. I figured by this point in his career, he'd be a little bit more than an accessory player who's in and out of the lineup. Steven Johns. Uh, Steven, I'd say, uh, see, it depends on the week you'd have to ask me. I'd say he's, he's aced a couple of tests this, tests this year, but he's also bombed a couple. So I'd say he's probably at about a C plus right now. Like there are times when you'll, you'll see, I'll see highlights of the goals he scores. And I'm like, damn, this looks like a really freaking good hockey player. And then there's other times where he'll completely whiff on a guy who's coming back door and it leads to an easy tap in. So it, it's been a mixed bag and, I get that for the first part of the season that we were doing the musical chairs thing on defense again, which probably wasn't easy. Um, so and he's he's, he's a, been good. He's he's also interesting because he's been he's been when Mathot's been out and after they trade Alexiak, they've asked him to play on the left side, which is not his natural side too. So there's other things right, that and that's play. and that's that's a lot tougher than I think most people realize mm-hmm. playing on your offhand like that. Like some guys, some guys are capable of doing it, and some guys, it's just, it just throws them through a loop, and it's that's fine. It happens. Greg Patteron. Uh That has to be an A plus because I mean, if we were, I was like we talked touched on. I was expect I had literally zero expectations for Greg Pattern coming into this season, and the fact that he's kind of helped hasn't kind of helped. He's significantly contributed to. Did you see that? I. I mean, they don't, I feel like the chart, the, like the shot charts come out like every other day, but the last, did you see the one last week where Dallas is by far, is far and away allowing the fewest shots in the NHL per game? Yes, I did see that. And he's played a huge part in that. Mm-hmm. He is, he has sealed off that second pair with Dan Andrews, and it is remarkable. And I get that he's a guy that doesn't do a lot offensively, but he's not being asked to play that game. Mm-hmm. And, there's a huge intrinsic value to a player like that on any NHL team. So just the the little stuff that he does is fantastic, and it was completely unexpected, and it's he's been great this year, and it's nice to see. It's kind of funny just to get a quick preview of into my story with my midseason report card coming down. I've going th- I've gone through and picked the uh, I've gone I've been going through and I've been giving a grade and I've been picking the best game for each individual player. Um, and for both Ham, Muse, and Patteron going through, 
it was one of those things where I went through and picked, and I even I think I even wrote the line in the story. It's something that you no one else noticed it, but this was their best game of the season because they played this X amount of minutes and nothing happened. <laughs> yeah, and those are like those are guys that you need. Like they're at their best when you're not noticing them, mm-hmm. or if you're noticing them, it's like it's it's very cursory. It's like they're making a a good clean zone exit and they get the puck deeper. They start a rush that leads to significant zone time on the opposite end of the ice. It's it's little things like that that where these type of players are valuable. Ben Bishop. Uh solid B for Ben. I mean B for Ben. Ha, get it. Um, <laughs> but he's like cuz he's not it's funny cuz he's not even the highest paid goaltender on his own team, so it's kind of like you can't be I feel like expectations kind of got ramped up for him in the offseason to be a savior, which he was he had a really elite two-year run in Tampa, but he's never like long-term been a guy who's more than a very good goaltender. And that's, I mean, that's what he's been. And that's what Dallas needed him to be. They needed stability between the pipes where if we saw an improvement in penalty kill and just slightly improved goaltending play, the goals against numbers were going to drop drastically because as bad at times as Kari and Antiniemi were last year, that was as much on the defensive structure around them as it was them being bad. And Dallas has done well, very well, at shoring up in front of the goaltending. And I think there there have been times this year where Ben Bishop has looked like a top five to seven goalie in the NHL. There's also been times where he's looked like he makes a play where you're like, why did he just do that? So he's been, I think, I'd say he's, at least the expectations I had for him, I'd say he's met. What about Kari? I see Kari... That's a little tougher because, like Pattern, I really didn't expect much for him this year. It kind of goes into the whole, you know, if they're better in front of him, he should be better. And his numbers have been better. So, I mean, I'd, I'd say, say same B, B-plus range because you, to give a goaltender an A, you'd have to like, be, like, borderline sub-2 with your goals against and consistently 925-plus with the save percent, which obviously neither of these guys are. But... I, has he exceeded expectations? Probably, yeah. But what those expectations were, I can't necessarily say because I don't think I really know. Guy, you probably would want to give an incomplete to, but if I told you you had to grade him off the 16 games he played, mark my thought. See, I, I, and I real, don't really. And I realize know. incomplete's probably the more accurate grade. But if you're gonna give, an, if you're gonna give an incomplete but trending in one direction, which way would it be trending? I feel like Mark Mathot kind of got that was a trade that I thought was good at the time but I feel like a lot of people made more out of it than they should because the whole talk was yeah he's Eric Carlson's partner and he's part of why Carlson can do what he does and I feel like that was a very like that was a reaching justification for the trade that didn't really need to happen um, I mean especially with the way everyone else has played it, it it's kind of like if you, I, if we're looking at this I, with the knowledge that we have now, and they knew that Greg Pattern was going to be what he has been this year, would they even have traded for him? I don't know that they would have. You could make the argument that they would, uh, but I mean, I Ken Hitchcock would have. I don't know if Jim Nill would have. Ken Ken Hitchcock loves Mark Mathot. So that's, see, that's fair. So um, I don't know if I don't know if Jim Nill would have if he had known Greg Pattern would be Greg Pattern, but I don't know. Um, if there still would have been the push from his new head coach to acquire Mark Mathot. So. But now, given that, 
what that second pair has been this year. Honestly, I would say that I don't know what to expect from Martin Mathot going forward. Yep. Because are you going to put him on the top pair with John Klingberg and break up Klingberg and Lindell? Or are you going to put him on the third pair? And if you put him on the third pair, is he really giving you a ton on that third pair? Other than I, do you put him as a third pair and then a guy that you're playing for 100 seconds on each penalty kill? I don't know what you do with him then. It's interesting because you also think, I mean, the spot where he fits best, interestingly enough, is and, and it, it, you don't want to look too far ahead. And obviously you have to find a spot for him this season, but they're going to re, they're going to re-sign Greg Pattern this son Greg Pattern after this season and all of a sudden Mark Mathot and Greg Pattern become your shutdown pair next season when Dan Hamhuis has signed for 5 million dollars somewhere I'm making up a number but <laughs> well, yeah and that cuz he has one more year on his contract after this and then his tenure here is probably done after that just based with the guys coming up mm-hmm. so i when you man when you figure that in i don't know that Dallas actually does anything on defense in the offseason you just kind of plug in honka and go from there and then maybe bring in another guy to be your seventh pairing and see or your seventh defenseman and so yeah i honestly i i don't even know what to give because incomplete is one thing but i just i don't know what they're going to do with it now because like, you could go either way with it you could either break up lindell and Klingberg or you put them on the third pair and then go from there but those are your those are your two options because you're not going to break up pattern and hankies unless one of them Gets hurt. One or both of them just complete gets hurt or completely falls off the face of the earth with their performance. Interesting one, which I think is kind of hard. To, it's been interesting to see the grades on this guy because I'm not sure it's it's hard to grade him because of what expectations were. Uh, Remy Alley. Yeah, um, C plus B minus because, like you said, they're you kind of if you had any expectations for him at all this season it was going to be as an extra guy who maybe gets in every third or fourth game and he he hasn't been bad this year but yeah that's those those are the extent of my thoughts on Remy Elliott Jamel Smith same thing i mean you kind of if you expected any i honestly kind of expected him to start the year in the AHL so the fact that he's kind of been up he's been good and in spurts uh so i'd say probably b minus He's, pro- he's definitely proven that he belongs to, to be on an NHL roster on an everyday basis. You just shook your head at me. No, I was agreeing with you. Oh, I thought you like shook like a no, like don't say that. No, <laughs> I have a dog right here that wants me to feed it dinner, and so I'm communicating to the dog non-verbally that it has to wait. <laughs> ah, non-verbal communication is important. Yes. Um, the next player is the one who has the highest score of any player through the poll process, uh, Alexander Regilov. Uh, yeah, that has to 100% be. I I don't know if I'd give him as many pluses behind his A as I would Klingberg, but he has brought a ton to this team that I think, like he's brought more than I think anyone thought would, because there were still the lingering questions about his mentality, which probably wasn't fair based on what he was in Montreal. But I mean, he signs a one-year deal and then he cashes in big and it's like, you obviously you get the, old school hockey dudes who were like questioning, well, what's his motivation going to be? Because he just cashed in off his one year deal. And now is he going to be lazy again? And no, he has 100% not been lazy. He's been everything and more that I think Jim Nill hoped he would be. He's fit into the system very well. He's obviously meshing with the best players on this team, which you kind of hoped he would coming into the year. So he's been, he's been great. He's been great to the point that if I had money, I would totally buy an Alex Radulov jersey, but I don't have money. Sad day. You already uh, 
You already told me you'd give Sagan an A minus. Uh, last player, Jason Spezza. Just based on his contract, not he hasn't been that great. Um, and obviously, you'd know more than I would about how he's accepted that role that he has now on the team. And I feel like, I mean, at least from an outsider's perspective, he's. I feel like he's handled it well. I don't know if that's actually the case. So I, I mean, C plus just because he's kind of at least seemingly slid into that role of respected elder on the team and not necessarily the breadwinner anymore, if that makes sense. You do. I mean, and, and one thing we do have to, when, when you're grading players, not all players are created equal. You do have to grade on a curve. If he's making $7.5 million, you expect more. It's just... If that right, exactly. Um, okay, last two, which are not... Just to, to wrap this all up on the votes, because these are in the polls as well, how would you grade Ken Hitchcock's season so far? Man. Um, right now I'd say B-, minus, but trending. But he's definitely... He's, he, his assignments lately have been significantly improved. I don't like how the defensive situation was handled at the beginning of the year. His affinity for dressing Jamie Alexiak, despite... All the, the mountain of evidence that seemingly everybody but him could see that Jamie Alexiak did not deserve a place in this lineup on a nightly basis just befuddled me. Um, but now that Jim Nill kind of forced his hand with moving Alexiak, I think it's been better. I, re- I mean, it, it gets to the point that now I don't know who he, who would come out for him, but I, I do think Julius Honka should be in the top six of this defense. But I, obviously with the way that Greg Pattern has played this year, you can't take him out. And Stephen John still has been good. And I, I don't know, maybe that now that Mark Mathot gets back, maybe we start to see a little bit more of a Mathot-Honka pairing just because I feel like that would be potentially beneficial. I don't know if that's really the right word, but then you at least have a kind of a shepherd out there for Honka kind of a security net so he's definitely trending in the right direction and now the team is this team is playing like a Hitchcock team which I I guess it took about as long as could be expected so yeah last one Jim Nill same grade just because the the way the defensive situation has been handled for the last 18 months has been abysmal Um, but it, it finally was rectified and I'm interested I mean the Hansel signing obviously looks like absolute poop right now. Um, but every other move he made and, and the Mathot one just kind of incomplete just because he's been, I, it doesn't look good that two of the four big pieces he acquired in the offseason have missed a significant portion of the season to date. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously there's not always a lot you can do about that. I mean, you could have pointed to the injury history of Martin Hansel and said, Hey, maybe giving him three years isn't the greatest idea. But at the time they hadn't signed Radulov and they needed another forward. So it's kind of it, it's hard to be too critical of that. Um, so I'm interested to see what he does at the trade deadline because that will obviously be probably that'll be a pretty significant final exam grade for for if we're talking about percentages the how the trade deadline is handled might be about 75 percent of the weight in uh, Jim Mill's final grade for the year. It is interesting to see. It is interesting to think about. Just hindsight, if Radulov, if they knew, if they knew they were going to get Radulov at minute one on July first, do they sign Hansel? That's an interesting. Like, it's just it's an interesting past history to think about. Do they? And now I know Ken Hitchcock would want them to sign Hansel and everything like that, but 
would Jim Nill still want them to? Would still, would he still sign Martin Hansel if he knew on July first that where you put pen to paper the minute you can sign a guy on July first and didn't have to wait a couple days? Just interesting alternative history to think about. Yeah, for sure. Because I don't know that they would have. So, yeah. So we'll see. Interesting. Well, that's uh, our mid-season uh, mid-season podcast. Uh-huh. We'll be back. Uh, we'll record sooner than later. We uh, everyone, thank you for the questions. And uh, uh, I don't know, Ryan. Give me a uh, give me one wild prediction for the next two weeks. Just the next two weeks, not like the whole season in general. I hope to record a podcast before the next two weeks, so yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> neither Tyler Sagan nor Alex Radulov gets arrested in Mexico. <laughs> oh, okay. Anywho, I'm going to end it there. Everyone, <laughs> everyone, have a good time, and we'll, uh, we'll be back on soon enough. <laughs>